Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious God, send your Holy Spirit to move among us that through your words of Scripture and your living word, Jesus, we might be surprised to find his presence speaking to us anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a long series looking at love. We come today to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Listen for the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love, abide in God, and God abides in them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The day I was ordained, I had invited the associate executive presbyter uh, to uh, preach the sermon, Phil Brown. And Phil said to me that he was not much of a preacher and I should ask someone else. But I insisted and he agreed and he preached and I discovered that he was pretty self-aware. <laughs> I don't remember a thing he said, but I still have the book that he gave me, a book whose first sentence I have never forgotten and think of often. It is The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck and the first line is, Life is difficult. Most brilliant line, most brilliant opening sentence in any book. Life is difficult. He goes on to say, once we know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Life is a series of problems and we can either moan about them or we can solve them. And we can teach our children to solve them. Discipline is the tools that it takes to solve life's problems. It's a profound book. It's still, still something that challenges me and, and evokes important thoughts for me. Because love is difficult. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. We've looked at a number of other passages, but today I want to talk more directly about just how difficult love is and that love implies limits. Calvin Miller tells the story of how he, as a young man with his friends, uh, had been afraid of a strange old man in the neighborhood. And the more these young boys talked about how strange he was, the more they decided they needed to do something to express themselves, and they decided it would be a good idea to set fire to the weeds in this strange old man's backyard. But instead of burning just a little nuisance fire, it spread and spread into the yard and beyond. It threatened the neighborhood. 
It would have burned down the old man's house if the fire department had not arrived in time to stop it. Miller ran home and told his mother what happened. And he asked her, Mother, do you think I will have to go to jail? And his mother replied, Son, I certainly hope so. <laughs> she loved him. But love has limits. Sometimes when we talk about love as Christians, we end up thinking in some pretty fuzzy ways. We want to talk about love as agape in the New Testament, but we have to admit, sometimes our agape is pretty sloppy. It is a hardcore Christian virtue, love, and something we need to not just talk about, but to think about clearly. Will Willimon, uh, who teaches at Duke University, writes that Christian ethics has been reduced to good intentions. Uh, he, he names the classic cartoon of Charles Schultz, uh, the artist who drew the comic strip Peanuts. Remember, Peanuts, uh, Linus is always talking about the great pumpkin coming on Halloween. When he first says that, Charlie Brown looks at him and says, you're crazy. And Linus answers, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, that's kind of the way that people think in fuzzy ways. We want to accept everyone, but sometimes there are things that are unacceptable and we need to test the spirits, as the scripture says, to offer up critique to the ways that we and others think in the world. Rabbi Edwin Friedman has a book, Friedman's Fables, Rabbi Friedman tells one story in particular I'd like to share with you in an abridged format. It's a story of a family who have a baby, but as the child grows, they come to realize that the child's ganglia, its feelings, are growing not on the inside like they should be, but on the outside of its skin. And the more he grows, the more the feelings keep growing and they're cascading down him like a, like a hairy sort of creature. These feelings that go all the way down to the floor and then begin to cascade out and beyond as he grows older. More and more, they live life around his feelings, careful not to bump into him, careful not to step on his feelings, not to hurt his feelings, because every time they do, he shrieks and says, watch out, don't hurt my feelings. This goes on day after day until finally, after years, his mother has had all she can take, and she reaches out and stomps on his feelings. He screeches, you've hurt my feelings, which leads her to stomp again. The father sees what's going on and he rushes over and he joins in stomping on his feelings. And pretty soon the young man runs into his room and locks the door and stays there until the next day when he comes out and all of his feelings have gone back inside his skin where they belong. Rabbi Edmund Friedman, someone who shares a story about recognizing the limits that love needs to take. We can end up being tyrannized by people's feelings. If we think that 
Love means we never have to hurt anybody's feelings, then we'll never say anything important and we'll never truly help them grow. And in fact, we may be destructive of ourselves and our families. We need to recognize when love needs limits. For the good of ourselves, for the good of our families, for the good of society. Suffice it to say, we do not live in a value-free culture or a value-neutral universe. Rather, we dwell in this place that is difficult and challenging, and we need to think things through carefully. Pastoral theologians like Don Browning of Princeton show that a lot of people's psychological discomfort is really not about having bad feelings, it's about moral confusion. And they need to think things through morally, to think things through carefully. They need, perhaps, to have their lives reordered. Or maybe, in Christ, they need a new creation, a new order, a new beginning. For love to be real, it has to be based in truth. Love means people need to think clearly, to test the spirits, as John says to ask questions, to seek motivations, to look discerningly at what's going on in our lives in the world. Take a look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. And there's a lot of people who want to stop the sermon right there and says, see, we should not be judgmental. But that isn't all of what Jesus says. Jesus goes on to say, before you take the speck, out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. Notice what he did there. He flipped the metaphor. Instead of being judges who are seeking to justify and condemn others, justify themselves and condemn others, he turns them from judges into healers. The point of any judgment that we might have is the question, is this really looking to heal? to give life, to give vitality, to give a sense of shalom in someone's life. The intention is to think clearly about love, to heal people. And sometimes that means taking the log out of our own eye before we can heal someone else. I have a friend who's a surgeon. He talks about his internship. On his rounds in the first day in the hospital in Dallas, this rough old doctor looked at him and says, what's the first thing you do in an emergency? And before the intern could answer, the old doctor barked, take your own darn pulse. <laughs> the first thing that we need to do is to take a look at ourselves, to test the selves, ourselves, to test our spirits, our motivations, habits, values, goals, hidden agendas, prejudices, to take a look at ourselves as we relate to the culture around us. The Gospel of John and the school that wrote in John's name set up a dualism of thinking about the church versus the world. Um, that's a metaphor. That's, that's not an ontological statement. That's a metaphor to motivate people, to get them moving. But it's not an absolute division because Jesus very much was involved in the world. And so we need to bring our critical, loving thinking to our personal lives and, 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 and to the world around us. There may be, as 
one might say, clothes in our ethical closet that do not fit us. Some things that we need to look at and be critical of ourselves about. What's in your closet? We are tempted by racism and sexism and homophobia. We are tempted to ignore family struggles and we are tempted to not talk about what leads to war in the world. And when we do, there may be people who scream out, don't talk about those things, you may hurt my feelings. But we have to talk about those things because they're real. And love compels us to take a look at ourselves and our culture and the world around us and to test the spirits, to see what is love creating and what is shalom making. When 1 John talks about love, there's a sense of growing in love. It talks about perfecting love, but, but it never with the intention that you're ever going to completely be perfected. Because if we expect ourselves to be perfect, then as Freud sh showed long ago, uh, we are liable to project our imperfections onto somebody else and turn them into scapegoats. No, the only perfection is God's love. God's love that inspires us and heals us and gives us hope and leads us forward on a journey, a journey that is lifelong. We keep growing in love, we keep trying, but we're not perfect. We just know when we fail, God's love does not give up on us. Jesus' message of grace keeps on working with us and loving us anyway. Jesus' love took a multitude of forms he does not say that he healed everyone. When he goes out into the villages, often it says he healed many, not all. Some wouldn't listen to him. He tells his disciples, when you go out into a town, tell them the good news. And if they listen, wonderful. And if they don't, then just dust the shoes off of your feet and go on to the next town, which is to say, have limits in your love. He didn't tell them to try again and again and again forever because love has to have limits. Moving on is one way that we show love in our lives. St. Augustine put it this way, if you bend over to lift someone up out of a ditch, uh, that's wonderful, that's a form of love. But if you bend over to help someone out of a ditch and you fall in yourself, what good is that? St. Augustine knew love is the greatest good, but it has to have limits. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is brush the dust off our sandals and move on down the road. So I want to talk about marriage. We're doing this whole long series on love and I haven't talked about marriage yet. We need to recognize and celebrate marriage for what it is. It is one of the greatest goods in human existence. When two people love each other, nurture each other, stand by each other, laugh and cry and fight and forgive and care for a family, and they do this for decades and decades and decades, they grow old together, it is so powerfully moving. When you hear someone who's been married 40 or 50 or 60 years or more, they embody our ideal. These people are our guiding light. I like to think of marriages like that as people who have climbed Mount Everest. These two have reached the top and it is this great achievement. 
But we also have to recognize that some people, when they're climbing up Mount Everest, only make it halfway up to the summit. And then they come to realize if they go on, they're going to fall down some icy crevice from which they will never escape. Sometimes the best things that they can do is to quit. Jesus talks about marriage. He says, two become one flesh, but he doesn't stop there. Two become one flesh, but if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better to have your hand cut off than, than, than to go through a living hell, right? What's he talking about there? Well, I think one of the things he's talking about is divorce. Sometimes the most healthy thing you can do is to divorce because in some relationships a gangrene sets in and an amputation is the only loving, life-giving answer. Not the perfect thing, not the desired thing, but the most loving possibility in that situation. Because love has limits. The purpose of Jesus' love is to heal us, to give us shalom, to give us a, a peace in our lives. And it's not easy. It's difficult. Our Answers to life's questions aren't easy, but, but we, as we think about them, we can grow into seeing new and other possibilities. And sometimes painfully we have to admit when love has limits that we need to recognize. But we always remember that God's love for us shows that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. The intention of 1 John is to inspire us to grow into love, not to expect perfection. Love is not about being perfect people. It is about imperfect people who are inspired by God's love, which leads them on their life's journey to grow and transform and transcend and fail and fail again and find in our failures that God has caught us and is lifting us up once again and again. And then we understand in a new way what the resurrection means. We understand anew the height and breadth and depth of God's love for us all. And we understand anew that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>